You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 577 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on this fine Wednesday, and today's show is brought to you by uh, Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. And uh, today's episode is uh, mostly going to be a crossover episode with uh, good folks at Locked on Falcons, Aaron Freeman, good friend of mine and the program and the network and all that fun stuff. We had a good conversation that's going to air at the end of this pod with regard to the NBA Finals and some Falcon stuff, some Hawk stuff will bounce around and hopefully you guys enjoy that conversation. Before we get to uh, my my little back and forth with Aaron though, um, a couple of newsy items that the Hawks were involved in. One of which was not really a Hawks story, but an interesting one nonetheless. Uh, Baxter Holmes of ESPN wrote a pretty big expose of the Los Angeles Lakers earlier this week that dropped, and uh, Amari Spellman made his way into the mix there because uh, apparently one faction of the Lakers' front office was ready to take Spellman at number 25 overall in the draft, and there was apparently some shock when his name wasn't called. Uh, and as part of that, um, Rob Palinka, who is now, you know, I guess, just the, the guy in charge. It was uh, at one point it was him and Magic Johnson, but now just Rob Palinka, kind of uh, at the wheel by himself in L.A. He reportedly told staffers that Spellman's college teammate Josh Hart at Villanova confirms some concerns about Spellman before the draft. It isn't clear that all of those concerns, what, what all those concerns were supposed to be, but Spellman fired back at Hart on Twitter saying, and I quote here, let's just hope that this ain't true, LOL, because man, oh man, if that is, it's wild, but I'm going to just chalk up to God's plan, end quote. Later, uh, Spellman confirmed that he spoke to Josh Hart and said it was a misunderstanding, that it was unfortunate, but a misunderstanding end quote. Uh, it is worth noting that in the same story from Baxter Holmes, it did say that a source close to Josh Hart said that he spoke to Rob Palenka for, quote, less than a minute, end quote, and, uh, quote, offered that Spellman had a great work, worth at work ethic, but he was concerned about his fitness, end quote. So not a huge takeaway there. It's just one of those things where a Hawks member made, made their way into the news and it became sort of national headline grabbing stuff this week. No real fallout here other than uh, that does confirm, I guess, that another team had uh, Spellman as a first round draft pick. You know, the Hawks took him at number 30 overall. And uh, for me, I thought it was a little bit of a reach at the time, but apparently the Lakers evaluated him similarly. At least part of the Lakers front office had him at that point in time and at least wanted to address that, that it, that it happened. No real fallout there. And of, of course, Amari will be up and uh, available and healthy and hopefully uh, focused on summer league, etc. And we'll see him in Las Vegas in a couple of weeks. Um, other thing that I want to hit on briefly here is that the Hawks were mentioned, albeit tangentially, with a couple of uh, free agents in terms of betting odds. I wrote about this a little bit earlier this week, but Clay Thompson and Tobias Harris uh, at least were linked to the Hawks and the, and the fact that the Hawks did have odds to land them when BetOnline.ag released their free agent odds. This means, of course, absolutely nothing. It's just a good in- indication of what people are might be thinking or the market might be might, might might be saying at this point in time clay thompson 16 to 1 odds tobias harris 16, 16 to 1 odds as well i've long said that basically aside from um Kawhi and durant the only guy that i probably would be okay with the hawks signing a virtual max contract for would be clay thompson i probably wouldn't do that myself but i totally would understand it clay isn't going to come to atlanta most likely but worth pointing that out and harris 
I actually would not be willing to spend a max contract on. Uh, just people were asking me about that after I wrote about that piece um, briefly on those guys. You know, Harris is a is definitely is definitely an intriguing player. At the same time, his uh, weaknesses on the defensive end of the floor is not like that dynamic for me, and I would not be willing to pay him a max contract for. I think he's probably a primary power forward most of the time, and with John Collins in the mix there. Uh, there's no real reason to invest a, a max salary in Tobias Harris. Of course, I also think Philly's probably going to just pay him, and that'll be the end of that. But worth pointing out, those guys were at least linked to the Hawks, and uh, that's something to, uh, you know, the free agent market should be something we'll talk about quite a bit over the next month plus, but uh, that's something that was in the news, so I wanted to point that out as well. Before we get to the conversation with Aaron Freeman, I do want to take two, uh, a second to thank you to thank Untuck It as well because they sponsor today's podcast. If you're looking for great Father's Day ideas, their shirts are specifically designed to look great untucked and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. No tucking or tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com, promo code MBA, to get 20% off. Untuckit.com, promo code NBA to get 20% off of your purchase. Without further ado, after a short break here, we'll talk to Aaron Freeman of Locked On Falcons. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. been covering the Falcons for many years at Falcons.com. On Twitter, at Falcons, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast. And you can get this podcast on the brand new podcasting app, Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get into your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Falcons. But I am joined here by an illustrious guest, none other than Locked on Hawks podcast host, Brad Rowland. You know him on Twitter at BT Rowland. He's been a frequent guest on this show. We last had him uh, during the bye week of the Falcons season. And uh, Brad also is a contributor to Peachtree Hoops, uh, the SB Nation site for the Atlanta Hawks. Welcome back to the show, Brad. Thanks for having me. Always uh, happy to do this little crossover thing that we do every once in a while, and uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm I'm hoping this can be like a pretty consistent, like I don't know, six month is tradition. Uh, had you on last year, I think exactly on May 30th um, to talk finals and and whatnot, and then had you on uh, about early November, I think, um, during the Falcons bye week, and at that time we were having conversation about sort of Deion Jones coming back and saving the Falcons <laughs> season and how the Falcons had just, you know, got the season, looked like they were getting their season back on track to make a run. And then they wound up beating the Redskins because I, I went back and listened to that podcast earlier today. And we were like, oh, this Redskins team is going to be a pretty tough team. But then the Falcons can get some wins against uh, these other teams like Dallas and Cleveland. <laughs> and, of course, they smacked down the Redskins and then they lost, you know, their next five games. So it, it's always fun to go back and listen to old takes and be like, oh, man, <laughs> like you just, you're, you, how could you be even wronger uh, at that point in time? But uh, look forward to talking with you again uh, tonight, Brad. Yeah, I mean it's always it's always fun to go back and re- revisit things, and uh, even when I think you know people like us, we know what we're talking about in general. But stuff is going to happen. You're going to be wrong, yeah. and it's sports. And yeah, losing five in a row there was probably untimely. But yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll try it again now. Well, I do want to get Brad's thoughts on the NBA and what's going on because there's a lot more going on in the NBA at this point in the calendar than there is in the NFL. But since this is a uh, Locked On Falcons podcast, not the Locked On Hawks, we will start the conversation talking about the Falcons. I'm curious, Brad, what were your thoughts on the Falcons' offseason moves? Big big investments in the offensive line, not as big as probably a lot of people wanted in the defensive line. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on sort of where the Falcons are at uh, after these last couple of months of moves? 
Yeah, that, that kind of outlines it. I mean, I'm by no means an expert on the level of yourself, but I'm you know relatively plugged in on the Falcons, and I thought it was interesting. I mean, you can't really argue with offensive line upgrades just in general. I, I'm a fan of you know investing in the offensive line. I was a little bit surprised to see what they did in free agency combined with, with what they did in the draft to kind of go there and with kind of double barrels there and just really kind of invest uh, in both uh, in both ways and when, with, the, with the top two picks in the draft as well and all you know the trades and et cetera. So that was a bit of a surprise. I think defensively is where everybody kind of understands that they are not as strong. Um, you know, there's reason to believe that they could be better defensively with some with some health and all that fun stuff. But you know, I was uh, not you know it wasn't like I was depressed or anything about it. But it was just more of more of a surprise, more of an intrigue. And I think the offense, there's every reason to believe that they're going to be very good defensively. It just comes down to whether they can you know make some magic happen. And uh, it's been hit and miss. But you mean know, with, with everybody back and healthy, you know, talking about Deion Jones that you referenced before coming back, him just being there is very helpful. And you still have some talent defensively, just not as much uh, depth as uh, every, everybody would like. Yeah, I've been uh, sort of uh, talking up over the last couple of months on on this podcast about sort of how the defense, I just need the defense to be respectable. I don't need it to be great. (laughs) I just just need it to be just, yeah, just not be like what they were early last season against in games like Cincinnati comes to mind where they, you know, couldn't get a stop in the fourth quarter and and allowed the Bengals to, to march down the field and win the game. Um, and we saw then the Saints sort of do the same thing in overtime, the, I think the, the week after that, uh, or whenever it was. Um, so, like, I think the defense just needs to be respectable because I think the Falcons' offense is going to be where this team lives and dies. I'm curious to get your thoughts on sort of the changes that the team underwent uh, by getting rid of offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian, uh, bringing back Dirk Cutter. Do you feel like this is. Uh, uh, you know, this is the right fit to get the Falcons offense at least getting closer to the heights that they were uh, under Kyle Shanahan a couple of years ago. You know, I was not terribly enthused by the hire of Dirk Cutter. Uh, obviously, you know, Matt Ryan has a relationship with Dirk Cutter that it's worked out in the past. Um, you know, Sark was a uh, an easy target for everyone, including myself, was not a huge Sark fan. I think that was kind of well documented. But, um, you know, I think it, it it makes some sense. They certainly could have gone with a with a sexier hire than Dirk Cutter, but I think you know there's been some success, some success there. And at the end of the day, as long as Matt Ryan is upright and they obviously invested heavily in the offensive line and comfortable with with what he's been being asked to do, and I think with Dirk Cutter, that's probably what the thinking is there. You're hiring him to make Matt Ryan comfortable and ready to go. Combine that with your weapons, and you know your offense does make a lot of sense. I'm not sure it's going to be Shanahan level, and the fact that you know Shanahan is just awesome what he does, and that was a lot of fun that whole ride during the Shanahan era but I think it's reasonable to expect them to be better offensively and um, you know I think they're you know what's the ceiling on this group is it could be a top five offense I think probably it can be so you know maybe maybe it won't be there as a a full-on projection but they certainly can be there with their talent and as long as you know Matt Ryan is plugged in and happy with what's going on that probably helps because he's just kind of at a level where you can't be uh, too nitpicky with what he's going to get with what with what he's going to give you. Yeah, well, look, I, for me at least, uh, when you say what their ceiling is, top five, I, I think they should be a top five offense. Yeah. Now, I probably have gotten a little spoiled in the post-Shanahan years where I'm you know, continuously of the mindset where we have to sort of chase that 2016 offense and we're constantly looking for the guy that can sort of restore that. But I do think um, you know, there's reasons to be optimistic uh, in the case of Dirk Cutter that uh, with the combination of the talent 
the far superior talent that he has today. Well, I don't want to say far superior. That's I feel that's like that's better. a slide against uh, Tony Gonzalez uh, from <laughs> the days back then. You know, with the, with, the, with the exception of Tony Gonzalez and, and Peak Variety White, um, you know, I feel like the talent on this year's team overall uh, on the offense is much better than what Carter had to work with, and sort of the lessons that the team has learned in the last couple of years. I think there's reasons to be optimistic whether it'll actually bear fruit this season will remain to be seen. But I think, um, you know, this team being a top five offense, being considered one of the best offenses in the NFL this year, I think is a very realistic goal. And it's just, they got to go out there and live up to it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's not really many weaknesses on paper with this group. You know, you get an injury or two and things can get weird, especially if one one of those injuries is Matt Ryan. But on paper, Everything looks like this is going to be very good on offense. And, you know, they're going to need to be, probably, because the defense won't be, you know, as you said before, you kind of want, 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 just want them to be okay. And if that's your baseline defensively, you got to be good offensively. And I think everybody assumes they're going to be. The, the offensive line is now, you know, maybe not a full-blown, like, elite strength or anything like that, but it's not going to be a weakness, I don't think, on paper anyway. So that all that combined, you have a pretty good unit, and Cutter can probably just manage it and maybe not be Shanahan again because like, that was a, obviously a ridiculous offense. And w- once you've seen it, to uh, to back you up a little bit as someone um, who watched that offense, from, again, not, not as closely as you did, but once you've seen it with similar players, obviously we, we've now seen Matt Ryan be an MVP-level player. It doesn't mean he's going to be he's gonna do that again, but once you've seen it, it's like, oh, they could definitely do that. It's in there. We've seen it. Um, so maybe it's not going to be that again, but there's always optimism that they can get back to close to those heights um, if Cutter could just keep things on the rails. Yeah. Well, Brad, uh, you've done a great job uh, talking the Falcons portion of uh, today's episode, <laughs> but now we're going to move into the NBA portion of the show. But before we do do, do that, I want to let people know that today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friends' trips. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. So, Brad, um, let's talk NBA Finals. That is the um, big topic coming up. Uh, we timed this thing perfectly. But, um, I, you know, I remember because I went back and listened to some of those old episodes we had. Just to, like, what did we talk about last year? And I was listening to last year's episode where we were doing it around this time. And we were sort of talking about uh, how last year's playoffs were pretty boring up until you got to the conference finals. And now um, I've been hearing other people sort of say, like, you know, even in the LeBron-less playoffs, that this year has been one of the more funner or more fun playoff runs, uh, you know, in both conferences. I'm curious where you sort of stand. Have you been entertained by uh, this po- NBA postseason in 2019? Yeah, I think it's been pretty uh, pretty okay. Obviously, the lack of LeBron takes some of the luster out of things just because of the fact that he, I, mean, I think you see that with the TV, the TV rings, all that fun stuff as well. He's just like that, the big dominant force that he is. But in terms of the, on the, on the court product, the first round was a little bit shaky, but the last round was awesome. This, the semifinals in both, uh, the last two rounds, I should say, the semifinals and finals of both conferences were really, really high end, um, entertaining basketball, particularly in the Eastern conference finals with uh, Toronto and Milwaukee. They played really well and, you know, a lot of drama there. It wasn't like these two, you know, marquee franchise, you know, markets, all that fun stuff. But you have some elite players with Kawhi and Giannis. In the West, you know, the Warriors are the Warriors. So them kind of dismantling Portland, you know, it's kind of unfortunate that that, 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 that series didn't go longer. At the same time, 
Portland actually pushed them a little bit. It wasn't, I mean, it, it was a sweep, but Portland led by double figures in three out of the four games. So it wasn't like they just ran them out of the building every night either. So I really enjoyed it. I think the finals are going to be a lot of fun as well. Um, you know, it would be nice if the Warriors got pushed in the finals, and we'll, we'll talk about mm-hmm. that more in a second, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it to this point. I mean, I, I'm definitely a basketball diehard, so I'm easy to please in that way. But I think it's been a pretty entertaining playoffs if you ignore parts of the first round. Okay, so let's talk about the Warriors versus Raptors. And, uh, you know, let me ask you a question that you just proposed. Can the Raptors uh, push the Warriors? I think so. Um, You know, I think Toronto, we saw what they were capable of defensively against Milwaukee, and they're really talented. I mean, Kawhi is capable of being the best player in the series. We, we just saw what he was able to do against a team that had Giannis on it. Um, and Giannis is probably the MVP of the league this year, and Kawhi was just better um, in that last series. And Kawhi is capable of being every bit as good as Steph Curry or even a healthy Kevin Durant if he comes back. Kawhi's been incredible and is probably the MVP of the playoffs so far. And you, you combine him with a team that can really guard and some quality role players. I mean, Kyle Lowry and Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka and Pascal Siakam are all kind of overqualified role players. Those guys are all capable of playing at a high level. Um, you know, if Golden State had Kevin Durant healthy, I probably wouldn't be telling you that, that Toronto could push them all that much. But even then, I think it wouldn't be like a situation where they had absolutely no chance. Toronto's defense keeps them in games, and you kind of flip it over to Kawhi and see what he's able to do. So Durant not being there levels the playing field considerably, but Toronto has home court advantage too. So like, there's a lot of factors that lean towards making this interesting, even if everyone's rightful uh, reaction is to just pick Golden State kind of blindly. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I, w- I won't ask you to make a prediction quite yet. I'll, we'll get there. <laughs> but, um, you know, let's talk about the Warriors on the flip side and sort of not having Kevin Durant. And, you know, there's a whole lot of drama surrounding Durant and sort of his looming free agent status and what's going to happen later this summer. And meanwhile, you have sort of this Warriors team is like, you know, we won championships before with Kevin Durant, we can win them again. Um, and it's just sort of this interesting dynamic now where it's kind of like both sides are about like maybe not Durant quite yet, but both sides are kind of in FU mode and just <laughs> sort of like we're going to do our thing and, you know, screw everybody who, who challenges us on that. I'm, I'm curious, sort of looking at this Warriors team, do you feel like if they can sort of, you know, come out strong against Toronto and, and really, you know, show up in a dominant fashion what sort of narratives will we be talking about this warriors team in this sort of you know pocket dynasty that we've had now going with five plus years now yeah i mean they, they've been incredible you know it just kind of goes to show how impressive they are that durant's missed all this time and they've been able to just rattle off victories and it wasn't always easy against portland but going in and sweeping a Western Conference Finals series without Kevin Durant is kind of insane when you think about it. Just simplified it that way. Take off Kevin Durant, who you know conservatively is a top five player in the world. Take him out and realize that they just swept a team in the Western Conference Finals without him. That's kind of outrageous. Um, so all that to say, I mean, this it wasn't that wasn't that surprising because they do still have three top tier guys and yeah. Steph and Clay and Draymond and of course supporting pieces like Iguodala. But still, the fact that they were able to do that. It's pretty crazy. You know, I'm not of the mind that they're better without Durant because that's kind of crazy in my opinion as well. There's been sort of that narrative that's out there. Durant, you know, they can win without him, no question. I think they probably would still be still be favored against Toronto, albeit more slightly, if he was just ruled out for the series. But if they have Durant, they're 
kind of, I don't want to say unbeatable, but close to it. I mean, I'd be pretty surprised if they lost the series without, if Durant played. I don't know. The narratives are always interesting just because Durant, I think he's probably going to leave. I mean, that's kind of what people hear around the league. It's not done necessarily, but I think Durant's probably going to leave, win or lose. And it might be time for that to happen. And I kind of were really interested to see how Golden State would fare once he did leave. But, I mean, Durant, I'm, I'm just not a huge like take guy on this. I, I think Durant is awesome. I think the Warriors are awesome with or without him. And I think he makes them better, but they also are really good without him. So it's kind of this nuanced thing where these guys are all just really good. And I have I can kind of see all the sides with Kevin Durant. Like maybe he wants to win and kind of make it easy on himself in Golden State, or he wants to leave and get some more credit and put up 40 points a game. Like it's I, I sort of understand everyone's thinking here. And it makes me probably a little bit boring on this one, but it's just one of those things where they're going to be really good when he plays, and they're really good without him, which is unfortunate for him in terms of reputation, but it's not his fault that he joined this awesome team that's capable of winning without him because they're just that good. Now, um, you know, you, you, you run in different circles than I do, uh, NBA circles. Uh, I'm assuming at this point Durant's not coming back. I know he hasn't been officially ruled out, but it seems like a pretty open secret that like he, this injury that he suffered that's not an Achilles but is – more serious than a, a tweak of the calf or, or whatever the case may be. I'm, I'm curious, what are you sort of hearing on that? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not necessarily ruling him out, but there's been enough smoke in the last, I don't know, week or so that he may not come back, that it's now a real concern. Like, that was sort of a news story that, that he's actually going to travel to Toronto, which made people get excited that he could play in game two. I would not expect that. You know, I did a roundtable with the guys at Dime Magazine where I write some national NBA stuff, and the consensus was kind of like maybe game four, game five, he comes back. But it would not surprise anyone around the league that's plugged in if he, if he, did, if he did not play again. I think probably the most likely scenario for him to play, if you want to see him play with the Warriors again, is having Toronto go up like 2-0. Like maybe maybe then you got you might see some urgency from Durant, but it's also kind of a double edged sword because if he's he's going to hit free agency this summer, and granted Durant could probably tear his ACL today and still get the max contract because he's that good, yeah. But still, but still, you, you don't you don't want to push it when you're about to be mm-hmm. on the free agent market getting you know thirty five forty million dollars a year. It's probably just safer to kind of chill if you're. At, I mean, he, and he's obviously hurt here, so I think if I was betting. I think he probably comes back. This is I don't, this is a, this is a gut feeling for me, but he won't come back until like game four or five. And honestly, if they're up three one, for instance, if the Warriors are like taking their commanding position at three one, he's not playing until they need him. That's kind of where I am with it. I think Toronto might push them more, and that's the reason why I'm thinking that he may come back. But if they're comfortably ahead in the series, I don't see Durant coming back with the Warriors leading. If that makes sense. Okay. All right. Well, we'll keep our eye on that, and uh, we'll move our conversation towards uh, the team that Brad covers on a daily basis on the Locked on Hawks podcast. Uh, but uh, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But I want to remember you, that you guys can get this show every day by subscribing to Locked on Falcons on the new Himalaya podcast app. Himalaya is free, super easy to use, and has every single podcast you love or are searching for. Himalaya has a lot of great features, but one of my favorites is the ability to create shareable playlists where I can queue up and customize a bunch of podcast episodes for work commutes and long road trips. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked On Falcons. So, Brad, let's talk about the Hawks. And uh, last time we were having a conversation about two weeks into the NBA season about a young Trey Young showing a lot of promise and upside. Uh, and you sort of talked a little bit about sort of how him and Luka Doncic were going to be – 
inexplicably and, and, and irrevocably linked for the rest of their careers because people are always going to look at that trade as sort of, you know, the choice of either him or, which I think is a pretty accurate way of explaining it. <laughs> but, but, you know, um, it, rather than sort of juxtapositioning it against, say, like Matt Ryan versus Joe Flacco, where it really wasn't a choice between those two guys, but for some reason, you know, people have been comparing those two guys for the last, you know, 11 plus years. Um, I'm, I'm curious sort of where are your thoughts on, on, on Trey Young currently right now, Luka Doncic stuff withstanding. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's sort of a situation where those guys can be talked about in the same breath forever, so we don't even necessarily do that. But they, they, were, both, they were both really good this year. And, and Trey Young has been a home run for the Hawks, I think. They're, I mean, realistically, he exceeded any rational expectation, I think, during his rookie season. He had the, um, the slow period there in like November where he really struggled. But aside from that, you know, the full season's body of work was really, really nice. I think he averaged 19 and 8 for the season with pretty good efficiency for someone at his age at the point guard spot. You know, famously, point guard is really tough for rookies. Um, very rarely do you see a rookie point guard that excels. You know, this this year was a perfect example where De'Aaron Fox was a top five pick in the previous draft, was really bad as a rookie, and then was suddenly awesome as a sophomore because guys just figure it out at point guard, and it's really tough to do early on. So Trey Young making it happen and playing very well immediately is really impressive in a lot of ways. You know, his passing is elite already. I think you could pretty much argue he's like a top five passer in the league already, which is jarring for someone who is, you know, 20, 21 years old and a first year player. But, you know, he's he's awesome. There's obviously some weaknesses there. Defensively, he's going to always be kind of an adventure and, you know, the shooting has come and gone at, at times, but he has a lot of gravity with with, with with his jump shot, a lot of range. He can he has range up to like 30, 35 feet probably realistically. He had, he had a couple of like ridiculous like 32 footers this year because he can really do that. Would shoot, shoot the ball with confidence, throw that in with his passing and his pick and roll operation and his basketball IQ. He just feels the game really well. He has great chemistry with, with all the guys on the roster, including John Collins. You know, it's basically anything that I can say about Trey Young is positive from, from his rookie season. It doesn't mean he's going to be like the best player in the league necessarily, but, you know, he's going to be very, very good. He's already very, very good. And the Hawks are uh, very happy, uh, justifiably, to have him on the roster. Now, um, you know, you look at this young Hawks team, they got Trey Young, who you just talked about, they got John Collins. Do you feel like this is, you know, some sort of foundation that the Hawks can sort of build upon for, you know, the, several years to come to, to get their team back in, into the thick of the Eastern Conference? Have they already laid that foundation or are we still pretty early in, in the rebuild process? Uh, it's 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 fairly early still. I think um, at the same time they do have a strong foundation. I mean, Young is a, a great piece. I think Collins is a very good piece as well. Kevin Herter played very well in his rookie season. You have some supporting guys like your Torian Princes, your Amari Spellmans, who are lesser guys but who are solid and could play a role for you down the line. And then the Hawks have these two top ten picks this year. Plus, they have max cap space, which, without getting too nerdy on the podcast, they have like $45 million or so in available money they can spend if they want to this summer. I wouldn't necessarily advocate spending all of it because they're in this rebuilding mode. They don't really have to go out and try to push things along too quickly, and they'd be probably better off taking their time here. But they do have a very strong foundation of young pieces. They're going to need another star at some point, whether it be in the draft or in free agency, because even with Young and Collins, I think just realistically to win a championship, you're probably going to need somebody else that's on that level or higher. You know, Collins especially is uh, already really very good. He was like, he was a 2010 guy this year. Um, but I think with Young and Collins, you're probably you probably need one more guy, and that's 
not a unique problem. Most teams that are not the, that are not the Warriors always want one more guy, and the Hawks need one more guy at some point. But it's a it's a good problem because they have options to get that guy. They have these draft picks. They have another another one next year potentially from Cleveland. They have uh, kind of the greatest combination you can have when you're rebuilding. You have young you have young young guys that can already play that are quality options who are very young and talented. You have a lot of draft picks and you have a lot of cap space. And those three things are uh, great currency. So and that kind of allows people to like even across the league to kind of point to Atlanta and be like, all right, they're they're in some great shape. They're not they're not there they're not really the, necessarily there yet. But they're kind of like the Browns last year, if that makes sense. If I want to make an NFL comparison, mm-hmm. um, where like the talents there, um, they're not good yet. But you can see them getting good, and probably in a hurry if they wanted to. Like if they went out and wanted to spell on the money now, they'd probably be pretty good. They wouldn't be a title contender necessarily right away. But you have your young core, you have salary cap space, you have draft picks, and they're in, and they're in great shape as a result of that. Now you, you know we're about three weeks away from the draft, and a little more than a month away from free agency kicking off. And you sort of mentioned sort of you know having two top ten picks um, and then money to spend. I'm curious, sort of you know because it's a, a little bit ways out. So accuracy of projections, you know, is, is up in the air, but in sort of like the general direction, sort of, is there, are you leaning or, or feel like the Hawks may be leaning in a certain direction, both uh, via the draft and free agency? I think free agency wise, you know, Travis Schlenk, the GM has kind of been, been kind of careful to not say that they're going to rush out and make signing. I think he made a comment at his media availability that I was at a couple weeks ago and said that they didn't think that they're going to be rushing out to be one of the first players in free agency. I think they understand that they don't want to skip steps. That's a phrase that both Schlenk and the head coach Lloyd Pierce have said repeatedly. That they kind of understand where they are in the rebuilding timeline. So they're going to be looking more for value in free agency. You know, if somebody awesome falls in their lap and that's one thing but they're not going to be you know you know overpaying for aging veterans to try to get good right away they kind of know where they are on the timeline which is encouraging to me as someone who thinks that they should take their time um but in the draft they have these two picks they also have three second rounders which are less valuable but they have five picks in the top 44 and uh they're the only team that has that in fact they have the most draft capital um overall even with boston who i think has three first round picks they don't have the same kind of second round picks that the hawks do so they have an awesome sort of stash of picks here it would have been nice if they had done better in the lottery because i think eight and ten was a pretty ugly scenario for them overall but they still have two picks um Player-wise, you, you hear names. You know, Cam Reddish of Duke is a guy everyone keeps talking about that the Hawks um, enjoy. Um, he may not be there, but if he is, that could be a, a guy. I think they should be looking for a wing type. There, there's three or four wings that could be available. Maybe one or two of those guys end up landing in their in their lap at eight and ten. And they, you kind of you kind of ha- you kind of can't have too many wings in today's NBA. Just quality options that can be projectable. You know, two way forces that can play on both ends of the floor. Then you have bigs. You have, you have a few big men as well. So if it was me, I'd be prioritizing you know forwards, wings. Um, but they could take a big man. I mean, there's there's a lot of different names, and because they're eight and ten. It's kind of like this full smorgasbord of options. Like it's it's so early as you reference, but if they were at three or four, I could probably give you two names and have one of them be the guy. At eight and ten, mm-hmm. there's a lot of options. I can name them for you. You know, Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, um, Brandon Clark, Sekou Demboya, uh, Jackson Hayes. Those are guys they're going to hear about in the coming weeks. But honestly, with the intel that's lacking, I know I I know a little bit about what the Hawks might like and just you know some sourcing there. But because you just kind of don't know who's going to be there, it's tough to pin down specific guys right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Brad, man, I appreciate you coming on and, and talking uh, Hawks, NBA, and Falcons with me. 
any other things that you want to hit on tonight before uh, I let you go? I just want you to tell me right now what Falcons record is going to be for next year. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it's it's always tough to uh, do that, so I won't put you on the spot. But uh, I will say I have a uh, a friendly side wager with a friend on the Falcons over nine wins, which is what, which is what their Vegas win total is. So am I am I crazy or is he? Um, I I am very tempted to take the over on that. Yes, depending on the odds, I would be very. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put my life on or anything, but I think if I had to pick over under nine, I'm going to go over. um, Maybe not huge confidence, but that's kind of where I land on that one as well. Well, you know, the way I would I would spin it is I take the over, and it gives you something to root for. You know, that's that's kind of where I am. It's like I don't root for them to lose. That's that's not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I forgot to get that out there, but. Them being eight and seven going in the last game, like lose, please lose, please lose. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah that, that's no fun. Last year you yeah. could have rooted for losses at the end of the season because it was it was so far off the rails that there was an argument for some draft some draft positioning to start yes. rooting for losses, but uh, yeah. not this year, hopefully. So, uh, Brad, I, I said I wouldn't let you go. Uh, you know, I've got to give you a finals prediction. Um, oh yeah. Who- uh, let's say I'm going to be kind to the Raptors. I'm going to say Warriors in six because. Okay. Golden State does not have home court, so Game 6 would be in Oakland, and I'll say they finished it out in Oakland in 6, and Toronto is more competitive than you might think uh, throughout the series. Okay. I, it sounded like that's where you were leaning, so I was just curious if you would actually you know, put the official stamp on it, and you did so. There it so, is. Uh, all right. Brad, uh, let the people know uh, where they can hit you up, uh, where they can find your written stuff, as well as what you got planned on Locked on Hawks for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I am uh, all over the internet. Um, my uh, my audio ventures is uh, Locked on Hawks is number one among them. So we share the network together and uh, we are uh, brothers in the same city covering things. So I know we have a lot of crossover listeners and hopefully you guys are checking out both podcasts. Um, I also host the Talking Chop podcast, which is a brave show. I write on PeachtreeHoops.com, which is Hawk stuff. I'm the editor-in-chief over there. I write for Dime Magazine. I write for Sportsline or CBS. I'm kind of everywhere. Not you know, not full time anywhere other than Hawk stuff, but uh, yeah, you can find me also on Twitter at BT Roland. I tweet out everything that I write, so uh, you can find me there. All right, man, Brad, I appreciate it. I look forward to doing this again. I think the Falcons have a midseason bye week, so you know we're about on track for uh, a sort of another uh, you know opportunity to get together and, and talk Falcons and, and Hawks. Uh, you know, some at some point near the start of the NBA season as well. Yep, pencil it in. We'll be ready to go, and uh, hopefully the Falcons are better than 3-4 and four where they were last year when we talked. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. <laughs>